Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. As we record, it is a dark and stormy afternoon here in Atlanta, Georgia. I love it. Uh, honestly, you know, you guys know that I just live for dark, rainy weather, and... Uh, <laughs> I call it Ghostbusters weather because it reminds me of like the scene when the Traveler mm-hmm. kind of shows up at the end of the first mm-hmm. movie and mm-hmm. everything's kind of swirling around in like a weird Cthulian maelstrom. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like here in Atlanta right now. I want it to be this weather all the time. Your mileage may vary, but this weather is strangely appropriate. Uh, <laughs> I was talking about this on Twitter uh, where you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram for spoilers with episodes, but I felt like we needed a disclaimer for this one for all our conspiracy realists. This episode is going to be surprisingly not boring, guaranteed. And uh, the best way to start talking about it is to say, you know, no matter who you are or who you want to be, life, when you think about it, for everyone, 
can be defined as a series of tests. In the United States, many other countries, your path from childhood through adolescence to adulthood is marked by tests, formal or informal. If we talk about formal ones, you know, immediately everybody thinks about the school year. Since the Industrial Revolution and the the age of public schooling, you have to pass a series of tests to move up to the next grade, and you just rinse and repeat uh, until you graduate or drop out. If you want a driver's license, you got to get an exam. A huge part of your college career depends upon your performance or used to depend upon your performance on tests like the SAT or the ACT. And those tests don't stop here. You know, after you get out of college, if you go to college, then when you get a job, you are going to have different testing and qualification regimens for that. If you work in certain fields of government, You have a background check. It's a test you take all the time and you need industry specific qualifications. These are necessary. These are valid, but that's not the whole story. When we're talking about this, we need to talk about the much darker story behind what is called standardized testing. Here are the facts. Dude, I was in line for some food at our former office location behind a guy who was talking about his uh, testing for Google like, you know, a multiple level, you know, interview process that involved incredibly rigorous testing. And it was like, code this thing in 30 seconds. And it was just fascinating hearing kind of the inside scoop of some of these very industry specific tests. So to your point, Ben, no, they don't stop and they just get more specific and kind of esoteric. And thank goodness for those standards Uh, of knowledge for all the uh, folks at Google and Alphabet. (laughs) Uh, Everywhere. I mean, this is the thing. Before it sounds like a hit piece on standardized testing, which this episode kind of is in in the interest of full transparency, we do have to admit you're absolutely correct, Matt. Standards are a good thing. It is objectively great that doctors, pilots, teachers, plumbers, truckers, anybody doing anything important – has some kind of standard and training. I mean, you don't want you don't want a surgeon who just says, I kind of go with the vibe during organ transplants. You know, I put on like some lo-fi, chill hip hop instrumental channels and I just sort of go at it. And you end up with a kidney at, at, at the end. Uh, and, you know, some people love taking tests. I take tests for fun. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tests are, are great. <laughs> they can be. I feel like every video game I play is a little I was test, just you know, about or to say the tests. same thing. Oh, yeah. We've all been in test mode with Elden Ring. It's about testing our metal and our ability to deal with absolute frustration and like push through. Yeah. But but even think about standards in a more general way. Think about a Phillips head and a, a flathead screwdriver. My goodness. Hmm. Thank goodness hmm. that we have those kinds of things where every every screw that you encounter actually it's not true there are a lot Unless of weird apple. screws yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many weird screws but mostly the ones you encounter are going to be standardized which is very nice and it means you don't have to spend you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars on screwdrivers yeah and it might surprise people too to know that even uh even us here at stuff they don't want you to know because of our parent company uh we have testing that we have to do Every year. And some of it is frankly hilarious. It's the workplace training videos where they, uh, oh, there's the lightning, where they ask uh, weird questions that have obvious answers. Like, hey, you found out employee A is uh, stealing cars. That's what employee (laughs) A does on their lunch break. Embezzling from the pension fund. (laughs) Which of the following actions will you take? A, I am not a snitch. 
B, I would ask them to stop selling, stealing cars. C, uh, all of the above. I would email HR. Right. (laughs) Or D, ask to get cut in on the scam. You know, that's always uh, (laughs) So these tests that you have to take throughout your life, they're going to have varying levels of rigor, uh, but they are, this is crucial for us to establish, they are important. You do need to have as a society some sort of standardization, some sort of testing. And other societies realized this long, long, long before the United States was a thing. Yeah, ancient cultures understood this uh, from the jump because it makes sense. They understood the importance of standards. Um, Some of the earliest examples you might see go all the way back to the Han Dynasty in China. Um, They had standardized tests called imperial examinations that were incredibly difficult. Um, Also pretty corrupt in terms of identifying like who, you know, might be in the pocket of the uh, the rulers. Kind of reminds me of things like the knowledge, you know, that uh, that test that all the cabbies have to take in London because of all the crazy routes and things they have to commit to memory. Um, not the case here with uh, cab drivers or Uber drivers. Also, thank God for GPS. But those tests, uh, the imperial uh, examinations were incredibly important because passing them meant that you'd get a job working for the state. Hence, also probably the, the corruption angle. Oh, yeah. And they were super, super corrupt and super difficult objectively you had to know a ton of things i like that you shouted out the knowledge that's one of the most interesting tests that i'm aware of in the modern day if you want to learn about what effect the knowledge has on the drivers who pass it then do check out our mind over matter episodes you can also check out the car stuff episode the knowledge spoiler it fundamentally changes physiological aspects of their brains like it's the amazing. pathways, right? Like they're the mm-hmm. neur- the the pathways that neurons fire and such, and the si- and even the size of regions of the size and density of regions of the brain is spo- associated with uh, spatial location and uh, geography and geometry. It's nuts. Uh, you can also see similar brain changes in um, Buddhist monks who practice nonviolence and intense meditation. I'm telling you, it's amazing. See, I wonder if the opposite is true, though, because I'm so bad at directions. That part of my brain is probably already pretty atrophied. But the fact that I just rely entirely 150,000% on maps, I think that part of my brain has either gone away entirely or been replaced with, like, music trivia at this point. The the memorization stuff gets gets a little tricky because the idea of consciousness, we're, we're all sort of songs that we sing to ourselves. That's probably the best way. To to uh to uh, poetically define the idea of consciousness, but your brain's busy, and uh, that and pretty much everybody is very intelligent in one way or another. So, like, if you're not using those parts of your brain, then yeah, it's a muscle kind of. You'll fall out of exercise, but your brain's doing other stuff too. And I, I bet it's more than just just trivia because we're all we're all sponges for trivia. But I, I I bet. I mean, why would you? You don't need the knowledge. That's why it's so impressive. Anyway. That's, uh, I could talk about that one for hours, but okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, before taxis, before the amazing knowledge, right? Before these studies of the brain, uh, other people and other cultures picked up on the Han dynasty's testing idea. And they had many, many other iterations of this as governments changed in that part of the world. Fast forward to the 1800s, uh, the continent of Europe picks up this idea and runs with it and says, all right, we're going to, we're going to test people too. 
And then, of course, because the U.S. got a ton of its ideas from uh, Europe and the United Kingdom specifically, they had some form of standardized testing in the education system since about the 1800s. But right now, ever since about the 1900s, the U.S. has become increasingly dependent on standardized testing. Some people think that's great. Some people have a huge problem with it. I kind of bet some of those early tests, the standardized tests in the U.S., were more functional tests. Like if you're a journeyman or, a you know, um, an apprentice or something, your test wouldn't necessarily be written, but you'd have to like make like a box or something. And then your, you know, your boss would watch you and grade you visually. Make a masterpiece. Yeah. I, I want to quickly shout out something called the Committee of Ten. It was a group of educators from universities and colleges that got together here in the U.S., everywhere from the University of Michigan to uh, Harvard to Vassar. A bunch of representatives got together from these universities, and they they decided, basically, here's what needs to be taught to kids from, you know, kindergarten to 12th grade, basically, here are recommendations, at least, of what kids need to learn on a basic level to be able to function within a university setting, which is really interesting to think about. So that was like one of the first times that within the U.S. there's some kind of standard for what needs to be taught. And then as Ben is saying, in the early 1900s, we start looking at, well, how do we actually test these kids on an individual level to see if they're matching up to the standards we want them to meet? Well. And I think we all know that like Germany is really focused on standards and tests and the education system in Germany, even to this day, I believe, follows the models that were probably set out way back when, like the idea of gymnasium, you know, and like, you know, kindergarten and all of that stuff, like everything kind of led to the next thing in a way that was much more efficient than I think what we have here and much more standardized than what we have here in the United States today. Trades and vocational school are also not as vilified as they are in the modern United States, which is a whole other bag of badgers uh, for anybody playing the bingo drinking game. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's let's look at college. We're going to talk a lot about the testing for college and the military because they are hand in hand, and there is a dark genesis for both of them. So there's this thing called the College Entrance Examination Board. Um, they picture them as like, the same demographic of people in the committee attend, like they kick it. They kind of know about each other. And this board offered their first exams in 1901. This was entirely for the elite. Uh, it was meant to standardize admission requirements for uh, posh boarding schools and for the Ivy Leagues. All well and good. People dug it. Fast forward, World War I hits. The military institutes a number of aptitude and placement tests, specifically the alpha and the beta test. The idea here is that they will match new recruits to specific appropriate roles in the military based on their perceived intelligence. And I hope you hear the italics when I say perceived, because that comes back in a big, big way. And of course, you know, whenever you hear about standardized tests, you think of the IQ test, the Stanford Binet intelligence test that comes around in 1916. It's been controversial ever since because parts of it are broken. Uh, there's the what was originally called the Scholar Aptitude Test or SAT. And don't just know that saying SAT test is like saying ATM machine or VIN number. You could just call it SAT, right? Uh, that's 1926. It's invented by a guy who is a main character of our story, but by no means a protagonist. 
He's actually a tragic figure. His name is Carl Campbell Brigham. When he invents the SAT in 1926, he's doing it based on those army tests because he created those. And we'll, Carl's going to come back. Keep your mind on Carl and, and don't make friends with him. Uh, <laughs> then there's this guy, Everett Lindquist. He created the ACT, American College Testing, in 1959. All right. So now we're in the 1970s. Individual states. That's what the U.S. is all about. And they kind of have their own fiefdoms when it comes to education. So if you are a kid in Massachusetts, you're getting a different education from a kid in Hawaii or a kid in Texas or a kid in, you know, Washington or something. The education system is decentralized. This means that states control their own systems. And frankly, some do a better job than others. So this national testing regime that comes out is a way for the federal government to get like a bigger high level view of American over education overall. And then very soon, like increasingly as the years went on, funding for schools got tied to test performance, which meant that things like the No Child Left Behind Act of 2001 would say, hey, if, you're, if your student body isn't doing well on these specific tests, then your funding will be in trouble. Uh, if you have any teachers in your family, you know this was tremendously unpopular. Teach the test. Teach yeah. the test. Well, and a lot of that goes back to a, a report that came out titled A Nation at Risk, the Imperative for Educational Reform, which occurred in 1983, just after the 70s, as you said, Ben, after the push for a need to see how the nation is doing, especially when compared to other countries. And this uh, report, A Nation at Risk, basically stated, hey, the U.S. is falling way, way behind on its standards for what each individual kid knows. Yeah, an education gap, which is something that uh, honestly is, is a calculated framework because you can take people who might ideologically say uh, we don't want to fund more stuff unless it's a defense initiative. But then if you phrase education as a matter of national defense, which it very much is, then you are you have a higher chance of getting those people on board. I wrote a, an essay many years ago uh, that was entirely phrasing uh, public health care as an issue of national defense. And I 100% believe it is. Well, and also like, you know, a buzz phrase or like a program title, like No Child Left Behind gives this sense of this egalitarian kind of like equality for all children and education. But the reality is just because the program exists doesn't make those individualized kind of legacy school systems uh, with their various resources, depending on where they're located and then who is going to the schools and what kind of money is flowing in and out of them, whether they're private, whether they're public. It doesn't make them fundamentally change. Uh, do I hear do I hear the senator from Georgia? Right. Is he against no child left behind? Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> you are against no child left behind, eh? So you don't like children? Is that what you're saying? You don't want children to succeed, sir, the gentleman? Welcome back to AB Conspiracy, your news at 10. We have just received word <laughs> that the senator from Georgia has left hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, of children behind in homes and farms across the good state. Who will find them? How will they ever be found again? Uh, uh, end yeah. scene. <laughs> and see. Um, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, this makes sense. I understand the point. 
standards, testing, etc. But why are you guys talking about it on stuff they don't want you to know? A show that applies critical thinking to troubling subjects. Well, it's because standardized testing is a massively troubled subject. Uh, first, just to put it plainly, the dumbest thing, and I say this truly in a truly affectionate manner, is that right now, for the entirety of human history, no one, not once, not never, has been able to make a real, fair, and effective definition of intelligence that everybody accepts. As evidenced by how many different tests there are and how many different flavors of tests and how much debate there is around what they're actually measuring and which one is the quote-unquote best, because there isn't one. Otherwise, there'd be like one, but there's a ton. And capitalism plays a role in that too. Just spoiler. But there's, there's, uh, it, you know, it, it is interesting. There are people who've done, brilliant people who've done uh, brilliant work on this, at least in my dumb opinion. And you'll see competing models. Like, is intelligence multidimensional? Meaning, should we say that um, quantitative intelligence is different from interpersonal intelligence or kinetic intelligence? And then you'll have people who say, well, functionally, intelligence should just be defined as the ability to, uh, to operate well in given circumstances or environments. That means that someone like Albert Einstein would be very unintelligent in the Paleolithic era because he doesn't know how to do the things that are important to being alive at that time. So there's a lot of... And he's of, just speaking gibberish. Yeah. Nobody and understands he's just, him. He's just, he's a <laughs> gibberator the whole time. You know, they sacrifice him to like whatever uh, nature thing they're worshiping at the time. They would have just shaved yeah. his mustache and head hair for like, you know, warmth. You know, to make mm. like a tiny sweater out of it or burn in a pyre of some sort. Well, okay. First, there would have been disease spread. And then secondly, uh, they probably would have preserved his clothing as well as they could. Anyway, anyway. Just yeah, so many, so many, just so many things to unpack <laughs> about Albert Einstein just, just turning up in Paleolithic era. So many questions. He's a wild <laughs> okay. womanizer, though. I think he would have. I, I don't oh, think dear. he would have wasted some time, um, too much time before he started chatting up the locals. But here's the problem. The reason we're making a big deal about the attempts to define intelligence are because at a very basic level, you can't really test for something if you don't understand it. That's one of the problems with ghost hunting. If there's no way to measure a phenomenon... And people have tried, then how, what are you hunting for exactly? You have to define, you have to be able to understand, define what you're looking for. And people have done this. And we're not saying they're all flim flam artists. We're just saying it's a really difficult problem and it bears scrutiny. Second, even though we know these tests are imperfect, we have to acknowledge they're also based on previous tests. The SAT comes to you courtesy of the same guy who wrote those tests for the army in World War I. So they carry improvements, right? With each successive iteration, there are new improvements uh, and they are made in good faith. But I would argue those iterations often carry the sins of previous generations as well. Well, it's like we were talking about earlier. You can test whether someone can build a wooden box by making them build a wooden box and then watching them and seeing if they like all the sides are the same, you know, length and all of that stuff. Um, but it's a lot harder to test a bigger picture intellect, something that would encompass many potential skills um, and abilities and things that you haven't even necessarily learned yet. Right, right. Like the SAT um, is theoretically designed 
not necessarily to test memorization abilities so much as to test one's ability to learn, which is kind of what the IQ test originally was. I mean, it's what it's aiming for as well. But this kind of testing in the U.S. in particular can be wildly unfair due to numerous factors, both inside and outside the classroom. And though you won't hear about this in your high school SAT prep course, a lot of these tests have a profoundly, deeply unclean origin. And we're going to dive into it after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, here's the kicker. The guy we mentioned, Carl. Carl Brigham. He's more or less the father of American standardized testing. And he's an absolute asshole. He's a uh-huh. real pill. Yeah. And even worse, you could say, he's not good at his job. Oh, dear. He was just kind of the guy. He just became the guy. When you invent the idea of a thing, you get to do it kind of however you want. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. What, are you saying he's like a eugenicist or something? 
He is exactly a eugenicist, Matt. Wait, that what? Was one of the, yeah, he was super into it. He, it's like eugenics was like a baby he had just had, and every conversation you try to have with him goes back to eugenics. It doesn't matter what you you could be talking about, you know, brunch. And he would be like, well, of course, the Nordic races make the superior omelet or something. I don't know uh, if that's what he sounds like. but Because uh, of their yeah. skull shape, you know? They yeah, just have a right. better relationship with the egg. Check out our upcoming Ridiculous History episode on phrenology uh, teaser. Um, so, yeah, from pretty much day one, this guy, Carl, was convinced that some people were just better than others by any metric. Uh, he was a psychologist, but he was a psychologist for the purposes of being a diehard eugenicist. He wrote a book in 1923 called A Study of American Intelligence. So we're not, we're not quoting propaganda by his enemies. He wrote this stuff. You can read it. Uh, and he said that based on the test he had conducted for the army, native-born white Americans were the intellectual top dogs. And then he said also the, quote, Nordic race is um, better than what he called the Alpine race. The Alpine race, in Carl's mind, is anyone from Eastern Europe. It's, it's very, like, not white enough for him. Wow. Wow. But Carl seemed to know what he was talking about for enough people who seemed to be like-minded enough that his ideas just took on like wildfire. Isn't that mm. nice? Yeah. Oh, he also, by the way, said that, um, quote, Mediterranean and, uh, and black people are at the bottom of, of the hierarchy. Of and course he did. Yeah. And you make a good point, Matt, because it's dangerous. Psychologically, we know that folks like hearing good things about themselves, so much so that they won't stress too much about whether this is actually true. This is garbage science, but the people in power consider themselves native-born white Americans, probably descended from a Nordic race. And so they think, okay, yeah, this makes sense. This is why I'm at the top, because I'm just, I'm just better. Uh, shout out to that does being wealthy make you a bad person episode so all right so why are we saying he's bad at his job though well uh he he lacked a very important facet of being a scientist uh objectivity he lacked that entirely um he had absolutely pre-existing prejudices and ideas um things that he wanted to confirm with his research um and this is not how you do science that yields bad science almost every single time. It is a foundational uh, component of science that you are supposed to not have advanced ideas of what result you are going to get, because then it makes you kind of change things in order to get that desired result. This is something called confirmation bias, uh, but on a much larger kind of like uh, institutional level. So in particular, he was a big fan of eugenics, like you said, Ben, and he wanted to support these ideas with uh, his uh, weird hack science. Uh, also, he was really against immigration. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And we're not just saying like, oh, he liked eugenics. This dude was on a board, right? Yes. Yeah, he's on the advisory council of the American Eugenics Society. He is about that life. Uh, and he was a big wheel in the movement. So his test... Like you were saying, Noel, his tests aren't really meant 
to objectively determine a person's mental prowess. They're meant to give him, his masters, and his cronies ammunition for their existing socio-political goals. It's a conspiracy. He thinks that he is the good guy fighting for some sort of shining beacon on a hill. Uh, his view of what America should be, which is namely uh, Protestant and white, extracted from Northern Europe. So he also thought American intelligence was in a crisis point. He thought the nation as a whole was becoming dumber because so many people were immigrating from Eastern Europe in particular. So he, a lot of the stuff he created was meant to be a response against and an attack on that tendency. Luckily, there are a lot of other smart people in the space, and even they knew this was kind of screwy. Uh, in 1923, we got to introduce this guy. I thought I almost texted you all. It's the best name we're going to talk about in the show. I don't want to hype it up too much, but 1923, this Harvard professor named E.G. Boring said that Brigham is not collecting data with scientific purposes. This just biased his uh results in favor of his own ideas. So he's like uh, ginning up data that makes him sound a little less crazy, at least per Dr. Boring. E. Gads Boring. (laughs) Dr. B is in the mix. I didn't know people had the last name Boring. Well, you learn something every every time. So he said that, so Carl responds and he says, look, some of these results, true, might be affected by the quality or level of education that someone received before they took the test, right? He's saying, I grant you that if someone completed 10th grade, they're probably going to be doing better on a test than someone who completed fourth grade, right? But after extending that very paltry, denuded olive branch, he doubled down and said, the real big difference, though, is genetics. It's just you, you, if you are not born a white American or a Nordic race, then you're just not going to be, you're not going to be as good. Uh, and then he soldiered on and he found greater success because he took his wackadoo ideas and baked them into the SAT when he invented that in 1926. So this is, uh, this is a real thing. This is not a conspiracy theory. He did this. If you're, and he didn't do it alone. He had a lot of institutional support and he had a lot of fans, uh, including, you know, fans in Germany who would later take the idea of eugenics and, and institutionalize it on a level that the modern world had never encountered. If you're familiar with the world of education, you probably heard about the controversies surrounding modern day testing. Like, I, I want to defer to you guys um, I know I, I, we'll talk about teaching the test in a moment, but I, I know there's a lot of stress on kids, especially as they get into like middle school and they get into high school and they start thinking about college and the future, vocational school, et cetera. Do, do you guys feel that um, your own children have encountered stress due to testing or did you have stressful experiences when you were kiddos? Let me go really fast, Noel. Just because my son has two more years until he gets a Georgia standardized test. So we're good there, at least for now. And weirdly enough, the state of Georgia suspended standardized testing for the year 2020 and I believe 2021, at least in general they did. I don't know what happened this year. Do you have any insight, Noel? 
they're back. Uh, they're called the milestone tests. Um, at least in my kid's age range, she just finished uh, sixth grade. Um, but yeah, because of that, you know, waving of all those tests during COVID and because my kid already has some kind of anxiety stuff, probably that was exacerbated by COVID. Um, she qualifies to get some extra time for testing because she freezes up, uh, big time, you know, because of these high pressure tests. And actually she was able to, we were able to get them to waive some of the milestone testing for her again this year because of, you know, stuff that we submitted that proved that she was absolutely, you know, struggling with this stuff more so than just like, a, Oh, tests suck. I'm scared of taking tests. Like in like a very psychologically crippling kind of way. Oh, I know. Yeah. John Oliver did a piece on standardized testing in 2015. And one of the things that he's of course joking about, but it's deadly serious is it within the uh, materials that, Anyone who's giving some of these standardized milestone tests uh, within those materials are procedures if a child happens to vomit while taking the test right. due to stress yeah. and that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you just, it's crazy to think about that. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about some controversy there. I hesitate to use this phrase because it's primarily used to manipulate people. But in this case, it's true. It's a dinner table conversation. Testing and how you or your kids do in school is a commonplace conversation that many, many families have. But back in the day, the problems with Carl's weird ideology and his supremacism, those problems and how they reflected in the test he invented were considered features. Universities loved rolling out the SAT, uh, and they loved it not necessarily because they thought it was a, a a good test defined by like objectively good at measuring ability. They thought it was a good test because it helped them filter out what they called undesirables. There's a guy named Eric Jacobson. I think we should quote. He broke it down um, by saying for some college officials, an aptitude test, which is presumed to measure intelligence is appealing because at this time, 1926 intelligence and ethnic origin are thought to be connected. And therefore the results of such a test could be used to limit the admissions of particularly undesirable ethnicities. So they knew it was rigged the boffins at the university and the ivory towers. And they loved that it was rigged because it gave them uh, an excuse flimsy as it may be to keep their schools as white as possible, as wasp as possible, really. Uh, tut, tut. That is not necessarily critical thinking. But, but, but we're talking about modern debates. So before we talk about how this game actually gets rigged, uh, I, think we can, I think we should go back to the idea of teaching for the test. Let's talk about some of those modern problems. Like, Matt, you you have teachers in your family. I do, too. Uh, Noel, I believe your mom has taught people um, the finer points of of singing, right, of opera. For sure. Yeah, and she's taught in school settings as well, in college and uh, high school. Yeah, teaching for the test, at least the experience I have with my mom and watching her, she was an elementary school teacher for a long time. It was, you're teaching formulas, you're teaching how to do a specific task or to put things together in a certain way or the rules that apply even in language arts or things like that. It's not how to think critically or creatively, you know, of how to come up with an answer or how to, you know, think innovatively about a subject. It's all about what are the things I need to know how to do 
and then be able to apply those <laughs> to questions asked on a standardized test. It's awful. Right. Yeah. It's a real thing though. Teaching the test is a real thing. And because, uh, because of the way that funding gets tied into test performances, uh, this, this almost becomes an existential matter for schools. And teachers are just the best. You know, a good teacher can make a, can, can set the course of someone's life, right? You have to, I'm not saying there aren't bad teachers, but um, good teachers can change the world. And the idea of teaching this, like teaching for the test means that you give kids multiple kind of dummy runs at it. You take a practice SAT, right? You take your practice GRE. Uh, and critics say that the kind of multiple choice format of things like the SAT don't really teach what Matt is talking about. They encourage rote memorization. They encourage systemized guessing. I know that uh, four answers in a row won't be A, so I'm going to switch one of them up. Now I just have to figure out which one. And surprisingly enough- Or I enough, can eliminate A and C, so I know the answer is B or D. And right, it's yeah, 50-50, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, who wants I to be a millionaire? I mean, it really is uh -huh. like learning the format. Uh, remember those mm -hmm. Scantron cards? They used to be bubbles, yeah. and then they switched to little tiny rectangles. Yeah, a little that brackets. was a weird. Yeah, that was a weird one. I want to say, like, I know we're starting to get into the deep water here. We're already there, but I want to say, um, now I think the reason that I love taking tests uh, and I did as a kid is because it's so validating. In in adult life, people don't give you an attaboy just because you know something. If you're like, if you're like, well, actually, the history of Morocco was blah 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 blah. They'll say, okay, but why? Why are you telling me? You know. And then if you're in a classroom <laughs> setting, they're like, great job, you get a letter with a plus sign by it, badass. Uh, so uh, I think maybe that's just nostalgia coloring it. But this this idea, I love that you brought up Scantron, Noel, because this idea of testing for format or learning a format memorizing things, systemizing your guessing. This is not something that occurs just in, U in the U.S., and people don't stress out about testing just in the U.S. Other countries across the world have students who are very anxious or stressed out about the importance of an exam, a single exam determining, as they see it, their life from that point hence. Uh, and then there are also uh, tremendously stressful situations. The U.S. is, in fact, not the most extreme example of the dangers of standardized testing. There's a, um, a related case, not quite the same thing, that we have to talk about. Uh, let's go across the Pacific, and let's talk about what happens to society with standardized testing in Japan. So in 2015, the government of Japan studied 40 years of data uh, and found that more people under the age of 18, in fact, commit suicide uh, on September 1st. Uh, more so than any other date. So why September? Why the 1st of September? Um, it is typically around the start of a new semester in Japan, um, right after the summer holiday. Um, and it wasn't the only time, too, because uh, there's, you know, there's another semester that begins. It's in early April, and they also noticed that suicide numbers for children under 18 were, were high at that time as well. So it, it's just... Uh, it's not good, right? It does show you that pressure 
that we keep describing that I know that we've all felt. Uh, I certainly felt it. And, and not to nag on Japan, but I mean, culturally, you know, ritualized suicide due to a family shaming event is is literally part of their culture. Um, and there is a high emphasis placed on honoring, you know, your ancestors and your family and not bringing on some sort of shame. Um, and in the modern era, that has more to do with success and rising through the ranks of the educational system than just about anything else. Yeah, this is tragic. It's ongoing. And in Japan's defense, the government is aware of this and they've made substantive efforts to help prevent these test related deaths because that's what they are. They're test related deaths. But there's a lot riding on these exams. So parents with the means still, of course, spend loads of time and money trying to set their kids up for success. Extra courses, mandatory study time, tutors galore. It is inarguably true that knowing the format of a test and practicing that format will improve your overall scores. This is why so many parents in the United States and again in other countries have their kids study for tests outside of school. It's a great opportunity for families that can afford it. But what about the children who can't? This is part of how the game gets rigged. We're going to go into the nuts and bolts of it after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right. Hey, shout out, by the way, fellow conspiracy realists, to everyone who has been thinking about their old test scores during this episode. We're right there with you. We were talking about it before we recorded, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, this, the SAT that I remember, I mean, I don't, I don't know why it would have changed significantly. It's uh, 50 50, you know, language skills and, and, and literature and things like that and math. Uh, I was quite good on the um, the verbal portion and really bad on the math portion. But because I was so good on the verbal, it was not an embarrassing score. Mine was embarrassing compared to you guys, at least. I'm not going to say what it was, but you guys are smart. I'm done. Well, we uh, learned. What have we been talking about this test. whole time, dude? None of this yeah. means anything. <laughs> None of it. It's, it's just such how it a makes paper me feel, tiger. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to, we, you know what? We're going to go back. We're going to make our own test with Blackjack. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do the rest of the quote. Shout out to Futurama. But yeah, if you are think, if you're listening to this episode, you're thinking back about your performance, whether you feel like it was really good or really bad, we have some news that may be a bit of a comfort to you, especially if you're unhappy with your performance on things like the ACT or the SAT. The problem is this, it may well have been something with that was wrong with the test, not wrong with you as the test taker. True story, SAT scores have been found to directly correlate with family income levels. Like, very closely correlate. But you could probably correlate that with the, the type of college that you get into, because those are often also correlated directly with income levels. I, I, I imagine. I, I'm just conjecturing here. For some time, yeah, that's been the yeah. tendency. Yeah, we've got a quote from Kim Ellisesser, who's writing for Forbes, and she says this, quote, A 2015 analysis found that students with family income less than $20,000 scored lowest on the test, and those with family income above $200,000 scored highest. And we're not talking about just a couple of points. The average reading score for those students whose family income was below 20000 is 433. So 433. But the average for those with income above 200,000 is 570. Clearly, there is a disadvantage. And it's so glaringly obvious. First, Carl would have loved this for a while. But what it means in general is that there are intervening variables, right, that have a measurable effect on how kids react to these testing regimes. Kids from wealthier backgrounds, first, have more opportunities to prepare for testing. They have more of a support network. And at the same time, not only do they have those, um, you know, those uh, expensive tutoring classes and things like that, they also have a lower likelihood 
of encountering obstacles that could impede their performance. So they wouldn't have to do, or they're less likely to have to take care of siblings, right? To be the child labor babysitter. They're less likely to have to hold down a job while they're in high school. They're less likely to have to transport family members to regular medical care. The list goes on and on and on because, of course, education doesn't stop outside of the classroom both the uh, opportunities for it and the obstacles in your way. Evidence also, we have to point out, indicates strongly racial inequality in the SAT. I was thinking the SAT in particular. That's what I read, most of the research I read, at least. Um, I don't know what you guys have on the ACT or maybe other tests like uh, the LSAT. Um, but numerous researchers have gone back and forth about the cause of this performance gap. Not everyone agrees, just to be very clear with you. Uh, but the numbers are there. The numbers are themselves inarguable. They've been verified multiple times by multiple independent research institutions. So what happens next? Well, in at least one state, this has led to lawsuits. That's right. The lawsuits that were filed on behalf of the Compton Unified School District, uh, specifically, uh, in which four students and six community organizations in 2019 claimed that the University of California uh, was, in fact, violating state civil rights laws by requiring applicants to take the SAT or ACT um, and other standardized tests uh, as they believed or the argument was that these tests unlawfully discriminated against disabled, low income, multilingual and underrepresented minority students. And regardless of how you may feel about these particular tests today, I think we, we've put enough stuff out there, you know, that stems from Carl Brigham and how he kind of was the base level of these types of tests. And Ben, you mentioned that every subsequent test is ultimately going to be uh, a victim of its predecessor. And that DNA, uh, even if it's diluted, kind of remains as time goes on. So lawsuits, discrimination, they said there's something wrong with this test. And it, these these approaches are unfairly hindering the, the progress of, uh, of other American children, just like your children, just like anybody else. And California appears to have listened. As of March of 2022, uh, the university system in California has dropped both the SAT and the ACT. This is huge because California, its university system, is itself the largest university system in the U.S. So they can set precedent. We don't know if it's going to be just an experiment or if it ends up being a harbinger of bigger changes on the horizon. But before we get to the future, let's return to our pal Carl B. Because oh. Carl B is the originator of this conversation. Uh, and it turns out that Carl has one last thing to add about the entire quagmire we find ourselves in. Yes, in 1930, Carl wrote a little thing, a paper, titled Intelligence Tests of Immigrant Groups, in which he responded to the criticism that had been hailed at him with all of his writings in the 20s. Uh, and he admitted something, that those critics were actually correct. What? Yeah, my bad, guys. Psych. <laughs> <laughs> Party foul. I know. I know. Uh, yeah, he did something that I think speaks to his lack of scientific acumen. Uh, he never 
stopped throughout all his test making. He never stopped to ask himself whether all the people taking the test spoke English, knew English, read it uh, fluently. And the results of his test further, so that's a big thing to miss, but further, the results of his test apparently had no correlation with real-world achievements or social success. The best way to put it, or put it crassly, is that people he thought were dumb sometimes did absolutely gangbusters. And people he thought were brilliant, or whatever his idea of Nordic was, could also just as easily end up being absolute knuckleheads. The test was not able to uh, correlate to real-world success or, indeed, to real-world acts of intelligence, you could call them. Uh, So the test is in a very real real way broken. And, of course, yes, we know that intelligence and worldly success are not synonymous. Some of the people in your life that you know uh, and think of as the most intelligent people that you've ever met, they may not be successful by society's metrics. They're just two very different things. Anyhow, yeah, so he's wrong. This led him to finally acknowledge that his results were without foundation. That's a quote from him. And that his whole concept of racial differences was therefore basically bunk. And good on you, Carl, because that was your life's work. You worked really hard on it and you realized it was wrong and you had the strength of character, at least, to come clean about it. But the damage was done. He had already poured high octane gas on the idea of eugenics on the anti-immigration movement and those folks active in those movements, they already heard the part that makes them feel good and right and just. So they didn't really pay attention to the retraction. You know what I mean? We don't need that part. It's usually how retractions go. It's hard to put that genie back in the bottle. I mean, you know, whenever like a big blockbuster headline makes the rounds and then, oops, we made a mistake and they print some little retraction people just remember the headline yeah but so does that mean the 1931 sat came out with a subtitle now less racist (laughs) what happened like because we all still took it i still took the sat i know we all did like why did we still take it if that happened in 1930 well i mean surely that surely the test is adjusted every year based on something right i mean i i can't imagine it's of course it's not the same test that it was in, in the 30s, but like what rubric is going into those changes yeah. and are they in any way changing it to be more inclusive? We don't really have any way of of knowing that. Oh, because you're not and allowed it, to see the actual questions on the SAT. You can see that's practice a good point. questions. You can see example <laughs> questions, but it's not till you're working live. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of the questions now are blatantly discriminatory. Like you're not going to see some math problem that says two filthy left-handers are out stealing children again. (laughs) And one has seven children. The other has 42 divided by seven. How many children have been stolen this night? Um, Uh, Those are the ones that have been left behind that we have to go find. No child left behind. (laughs) Unless they're left-handed. So the... (laughs) Sorry, uh, we made up that prob- that word problem. I'm left-handed. But- I was definitely mm-hmm. left behind, uh, but but here I am. I'm ambidextrous. Yourself. I was oh, I was left-handed job. till I wasn't what allowed flex. to be. It's not a flex. My handwriting is terrible with both hands. Okay, fair. But uh, it, it was it was uh, beat out of me in school when it was bad to be left-handed by the uh, schoolmaster with his with his ruler. You wrap your <laughs> knuckles and you wrote with the wrong hand. 
a little close to that. Yeah. Okay, but I fair, mean, that's something that's happened to people in, you know, preschool and kindergarten and stuff uh, back in the day. But the question now it becomes this, we know there's a problem. There's all sorts of evidence indicating that these tests, however, well-intentioned have some fundamental flaws. So why hasn't there been more change? That's the question. Well, a big part of it, unfortunately, goes down to money. That's right. Like almost everything else in the United States, standardized testing is an industry. And uh, it's a pretty big one. One of the stats you'll hear get thrown around is that $1.7 billion are spent in the US on standardized testing every year. Uh, the originator of that of that number, by the way, uh, doesn't like it to be thrown around casually. So you need to know that there are a lot of different ways to come up with that final figure. You know, are you going to count, are you going to count the time of the teachers, uh, you know, instructing on the format of the test? Are you going to count the extracurricular activities? What do you count as an expense that goes into that figure? So just so you know, we know that's a little bit loose. Um, but then if you see problems of this magnitude, and you wonder why stuff isn't changing, as we say all the time, start following the money. You know what I mean? As as far as you can, see where the financial interests lie. I just Googled, is Scantron a publicly traded company? Um, I didn't get a very clear answer, but it was founded in Egan, Minnesota in 1972. Um, and they uh, operate in 98% of the U.S. school districts, 56 countries, 48 ministries of education, and 94 of the top 100 U.S. universities. Uh, so there's definitely money to be made. Um, whether or not they're public, I, I don't believe that's the case. They're owned by something called Transom Capital Group, which I bet is public. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, and then this doesn't even touch Pearson, right, uh, which will be familiar to anybody in the academy or anybody's had to uh, pay out the nose for a textbook because one appendix is different from last year's uh, last year's edition. That'll be uh, $250. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And, and to be clear, we're dunking a little, but to be clear, the concept of standardized testing alone is not inherently sinister and you need something like it. It has a lot of value. And it has a lot of supporters, the system as it stands now. And not all of them have a financial horse in the race because they understand that when the system works, it becomes this huge meritocratic opportunity. You're a kid from a disadvantaged background. Now you can succeed based on your abilities instead of like that rotting web of nepotism that determines so much success, quote unquote, in this country. No one's arguing about that. But we're saying the case of the specific test is clear. They were designed by a guy who only wanted a certain type of person, people who looked like him, to succeed. He was also very upset about the idea of miscegenation, which is the fancy word for uh, interracial relationships. He was super terrified of that, just like Anslinger, the guy who made uh, cannabis illegal. He hated fun, and he hated the idea of uh, anything that was not really, really white folks in charge. And these... These tests, of course, people don't agree with this guy nowadays. They're not, you're not ever going to see somebody, an educator say, I like how these tests discriminate against people. Um, but we know that these specific tests need to be fixed. There are problems with them and they are rooted in some very deep demons of American society. 
That's why society needs to find a better way not to make children memorize facts, but to encourage their independent thought and their curiosity and to empower them for success in the future, to open, not close, doors ahead. I yield my time. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I was ranting. No, Ben, thank you for being upon that soapbox, because I think many of us listening agree with you, sir. Uh, I want to shout out a few people who definitely do, uh, who have given TEDx talks in the past Mm -hmm. several years. Mm -hmm. One is from Nikki Adeli, I think is how you say it. I can't remember. It's been a while since I watched it. It's titled, What Standardized Tests Don't Measure? Uh, It is Worth Your Time. It's from 2014. And another one titled, Prepare Our Kids for Life, Not Standardized Tests by Ted Dintersmith. That's from 2015. Both both of them are TEDx talks, right? They're locally put together events for the TED group. Uh, they're not the official like TED talk, if if that makes sense. Not the official official gathering, but they're both great speakers and they have great messages that are very similar to yours, Ben. Hey, I think that's our collective message, though. You know, we're a big fan sure. of teachers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why that's why one thing we can end on here, even though there are lots of problems with the education system. In every country, to be fair, uh, we want to give a heartfelt thanks to all the teachers, professors, educators in the audience. This is personal to us because we all have we all have educators in our family. But right now, if you want to have an action you can do after hearing this, one of the easiest and most important things you can do is think back on one of your favorite teachers from the past. And I highly encourage you remember their name, to reach out to them. It's easier now than it ever was at any point in history. Just reach out to them, drop a note, and thank them directly if you can. It will make their day because God knows they're not in it for the money. I'll just add, my kid just got an A-plus in math, and she admittedly hates math, but said that it was the teacher, that that was like her favorite teacher. And that just, I think that says it all. You know, she is not a fan of math, does not think she has an acumen for it. And yet she did better in that class than she did in just about any other class. Uh, Some of which the subject she loves, even if she doesn't think she likes language arts, she likes to read. She enjoys culture. She does enjoy language arts, but felt that her language arts teacher was a little less effective, let's just say, than her math teacher. Therefore, she did not get nearly as much out of it. And so with that, uh, we Pass, we pass the Scantron to you, folks. What do you think? Uh, is standardized testing overall, is it just fine and hunky-dory? Uh, or are there clear steps that could help address the shadow of conspiracy haunting this origin story? Uh, what kind of sage is there to burn, right? Clearly, testing in some form has to exist. But what, if anything, do you think could improve or replace the current system? Uh, we can't wait to hear from you. There will not be a quiz when you contact us. Uh, just we're, we're not those sorts of dudes, but we, we, we are easy to find online. Maybe like a fun Instagram survey or a quiz, but that's just more like, you know, for fun. Uh, we will not hold any of those results against you, and we uh, we don't store them. I don't know what Instagram does with that stuff. That's a good question uh, that deserves its own episode. Um, what happens to all those quiz results that are, in fact, telling the Instagram about people's tastes? Um, maybe we'll get to that one day. But you can find us on Instagram. Um, we are at Conspiracy Stuff Show on that one. All the other ones, we're at Conspiracy Stuff. That includes Facebook, um, Twitter, and YouTube, of course. Yes, and if you like to use your mouth to talk at us, 
At least in our general direction, you can call 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, give yourself a nickname. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be anything. We're excited to hear what you choose. Uh, you've got three minutes to leave a message. At some point in there, let us know if we can use your name and voice on the air. If not, that's fine. If yes, woohoo! And uh, we'll be hearing from you in an episode, hopefully. Or you'll be hearing from one of us calling you back. Who knows? Uh, If you don't want to do that or you've got more to share than can fit in that three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We read everything we receive at conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.